0: Please take out your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, starting in verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That sounds the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can gather in honor of you. We can gather together with the saints, the people that you have called by your word, by your spirit, that you have saved through faith. We pray now that you would be teaching us by your spirit. Lord, as we are in the application section of Galatians, help us to Apply the theology that we've been learning uh, these past number of months as we've gone through this book. Help us to bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. May we not be pursuing the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, we pray for your Spirit to be working in us, that uh, he would grant us the eyes to see what is going on in the text, and that he would grant us the strength and willingness to obey it. We pray now for any in our midst who do not know you as Lord and Savior. May they be convicted by your word. May they turn to repentance and faith to Christ. We thank you for this morning. We pray that you'd be with me as I preach and uh, help uh, all our listeners to hear what you want them to say. And may you be speaking to us. We pray this all in your name. Amen. So as we wind up our series with Galatians, uh, we come to a series of verses that you may have heard quoted uh, in other places and other sermons And it's really good to go through these kinds of verses uh, that are more popular to understand what is the context in and around them, and if we understand the context around them often we'll grasp a fuller meaning uh, of what the verses are trying to say. We want to understand what Paul is trying to communicate to the Galatian church firstly, and also to all God's people by extension. Now last week we heard about the life of the church. Restoring brothers in gentleness. And so as we talk about these next few verses, as we just read, let's keep that context in mind. Paul is not done with that topic. Because we see that in verse 10, he's wrapping up this section, he says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Part of doing good to those of the household of faith is the loving act of restoring each other from the pursuit of sin, as we saw in the first verses of the chapter last week. So keep that in mind, we're talking about the life of the church, and let's dive in. Verse six. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Well, part of being in the community of faith is looking out for each other's needs. This means that we help someone when someone needs physical help, emotional help, and, of course, spiritual help. And here Paul is looking out for the minister of the word, or the pastors, the leaders of the church. He says, let the one who is taught the word, in other words, let the church share all good things with the one who teaches, or the shepherd. So, let the church share their wealth with their pastors. Now let's think not only of financial wealth, but friendship, fellowship, support, care, money, resources, help with family, and any other kind of good gifts that you can think of are to be shared with the one who teaches. Share all good things, he says. There's no limit to the types of good things that a congregation is to share with their pastors. Pastors are to be part of the people of God, not on a pedestal or a higher level by themselves, but among the people. Think of the analogy of the shepherd. The shepherd walks among the sheep. He's not flying overhead in a plane. He's walking among the sheep. He knows them, they know him, and they share mutual love. And Paul is reminding the Galatians not to neglect their leaders and their leaders' needs. I think there is a tendency for churches at any age to forget about their pastors in some sense. We can forget about them when it comes to sharing all good things with the body. For example, when you read, or when we read the verses last week, bear one another's burdens. Who came to your mind? Bear one another's burdens. Church members, right? The family of God, that's who we think of. Do you think of your pastors? They in that category as well. I have to say, I don't automatically think of our pastors, I think of church members. I sometimes forget about my brothers in leadership. But that is wrong because pastors need help, just like all the members of the church do, just like the rest of us. Spiritual leaders are not invincible. And sometimes they can end up feeling like they are alone with their burdens, even as they try to help others with theirs. Now, I'm speculating that Paul felt some of this, as he did much traveling. He did not have a consistent body to fellowship with continually. Yes, he received help from different churches as he, has, as he had need. and He expressed great thanks for those churches that helped him. But he was always on the move. He was always traveling on different journeys to different cities, and yet only a few companions with him. And really the only encouragement that Paul could get from churches was through uh, gifts and letters. So let's ask the question: Why is it easy for churches to somewhat forget about their leaders when it comes to church life and helping one another? And I think there's a few reasons for this. I'll try and look at a few different options. In some cases, the pastors themselves can distance themselves from the congregation in a sinful way, where they see themselves as higher and more important than the rest of the people. And maybe only a few select congregants are worthy of the pastor's time and fellowship. Now, I think this is evident in any megachurch situation where you have thousands or thousands of members I'll ask the question, how many of those members can know the pastor as a brother? Very few of them. And how many of those pastors will have time to get to know all those people? Well, in truth, none. Because being on a level of brotherly fellowship is just impossible with that amount of people. However, even though we're not nearly at a thousand people, that doesn't exempt us from this danger. Pastors need to watch out that they don't develop a sense of superiority among the people of God. Now looking at it from the other perspective, the people of the church can start to view the pastor as more important than the rest of the church, even to no fault of his own. Now this can lead to a few different problems. On the one hand, maybe everyone wants to sit with the pastor at fellowship lunch, uh, kind of like he's a celebrity, celebrity of some sort. Or on the other hand, Maybe no one wants to sit with him because, well, he's a pastor, that's a big deal, right? I on my best behavior when I'm sitting with the pastor. That's just too much pressure. As if God doesn't see us when we're on our worst behavior. Now, either attitude stems from the same sinful belief that the pastor is on a status and value level above the people. And well... The pastor is a man called by God to serve the church, he is not of more value than the layperson. He is able to glorify God in his work, just like the farmer can, just like the construction worker, the office worker, or any other job. And the pastor is also able to abuse his position of authority, foolishly using his God-given authority for wicked gain, as people can also do in other lines of work. Now, another reason why people can neglect their leaders' needs is that pastors are, or at least should be, very spiritually mature men. And as such, they may appear like they don't need help, right? They should be good at weathering trials and temptations and hardships by relying on God, keeping priorities straight, gaining hope through prayer and the Word, and so on. That all comes with spiritual maturity. But spiritual maturity does not replace the need for brotherly love and affection in the church. Even pastors that are very well equipped to deal with trials need support from the church family. The false idea that the leader is self-sufficient can make the congregation forget that the leaders of the church need fellowship too. The leaders of the church need encouragement The leaders of the church need support, and perhaps the leaders of the church may need correction from a spirit of gentleness and love. So there's a few applications here for different groups. Let's try and draw those out. Well, firstly, as we we said before, the pastor must be careful. He must not see himself as higher than the congregation. He must remain on the same level. Now, not in terms of authority or office in the church, but in terms of value and status before God. The pastor is an authority figure, and that is good, but he is a brother in the family of God. And so the people of God must not treat him as royalty. They should respect his office as a leader in the church, but not at the same time be scared to talk with him like family. He is not to be removed from the flock, but among it. And so I encourage you all, as you seek to fellowship in the body of Christ, do not forget your leaders or assume that they don't need your fellowship and love. Now, kids and teenagers, you have a role to play as well. You are able to bless the leaders of the church. Now, here's a really simple one. When you're listening to a sermon, look at the man who's talking. That's a really easy way to bless the man who is preaching. That will be an encouragement to him. Or you can go to the leaders and thank them for their work in the church. Go and tell them that you were listening to the sermon. Tell them that you learned something. Help out with whatever you can do when you see people working. If you learned something in Sunday school, tell the Sunday school teacher what you learned. It will bless you. And this actually goes for everyone in the congregation. You can bless your leaders by showing that you are participating in the service through eye contact, through singing, through repeating amen after a prayer. Sharing all good things with those who teach is really open, really wide-ranging. And I've really only talked about a few things. But the bottom line is, seek to be a blessing to your leaders. Now, let's move on to verse seven. And first, as I read this, it almost seemed to jump into a new topic. And I think it's because I've often thought of these verses in the context of sanctification, fighting sin. And that is valid, and we'll come back to that part of the interpretation later. But for now, let's try to understand how do these verses contribute to fellowship, the life of the church, and the giving of good things to the pastor. Paul says, share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. That's a really strong statement. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you will also reap. Now I think Paul's talking to the portion of the church uh, in Galatia that needed that instruction from verse 6. That was the one we just talked about. We can guess from Paul's writing that the Galatians were not pro- properly taking care of their pastor's needs. And so to them, they get an instruction in verse 6, right? Like share all good things with those who teach, and then the warning that accompanies it. And this is Paul's way of justifying what he said, and stopping people from making excuses that keep them from taking care of their leaders. So Paul is saying, take care of your pastor's needs without excuse, Because God sees right through all your excuses. And in the measure that you give, you will also receive. On the phrase, God is not mocked, one commentator put it this way. He said, the purpose of this observation, God is not mocked, is to reply to the dishonest excuses which are frequently given. One alleges that he has a family to support, and another asserts that he has no affluence of wealth, to spend in liberality or excess. The consequence is that while so many withhold their aid, the few persons who do their duty are generally unable to contribute the necessary support. And these excuses Paul utterly rejects, for a reason which the world little considers that this transaction is with God. The supply of a man's bodily needs is not the sole question but involves the degree of our regard for Christ and his gospel." God sees through the masks and deceptions of men, even when they fool others. And we must realize that taking care of the pastor is a spiritual duty that involves God. When we give generously, we please God, but not so when we are reluctant. Paul lays up the principle of life that God has worked into creation in many different aspects. That which one sows, he will also reap. Now, in 2 Corinthians, Paul actually uses this exact same analogy on the same topic. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now in Galatians, uh, Paul changes this metaphor into more of a general form than Second Corinthians. He just says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, sowing to your own flesh here would point to using your resources for selfish and worldly aim. Let me explain. The man who's being stingy with others and with the church while generously advancing his own desires, well, he's sowing to his own flesh. His efforts, his abilities, his wealth are all directed to his own gain. And at the end of his life, he will reap the benefits of his material gain, which eventually is subject to corruption, as Paul said. All worldly things are passing away and are going to eventually perish. And so if that's the only place that you sow, that's the quality of the harvest that you will reap. And so my brothers and sisters, ask yourself, where do you sow your seed? Are you deceiving others perhaps yourself, by refusing to contribute to the needs of the Church and your pastors. Have you come up with lofty reasons why you do not need to supply all good things to those who labour for your soul? If this is you, then I call you to repentance. Remember, God is not mocked. He sees through our deceptions, He sees through our excuses, He knows our hearts. God was not pleased with blemished offerings. God was not pleased with partial tithes. And God is not pleased with giving that is reluctant or non-existent. Now, Scripture, scripture tells us in many places about a principle of giving that really doesn't make sense to us. So let me give you some examples. When the Israelites uh, went out of uh, Egypt in the Exodus, they wandered the wilderness for many years and God gave them now. And Moses tells us about that. He says, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. But whoever gathered little had no lack. Figure that out. And history's wisest man, Solomon, said, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. And another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. And Jesus in Luke 6 said, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And God in Malachi 3, he actually asks the Israelites to put him to the test. He says, bring the full tide into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test says the Lord of Hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And so I encourage you, you who struggle to give freely and cheerfully, search the scriptures for these things and trust God. He has said that those who give freely will be repaid in abundance. It's actually exciting to anticipate the ways in which God could bless us when we offer our possessions to Him, And this goes for wealth, this goes for time, work, and all other things that we have been given by God. He has given us so many blessings, why should we hold them so tightly as if we have earned them, or as if they are truly ours? But God has given them. We are stewards of all that we have, servants in charge of a small portion of, of God's house. And may we not be the ones who sow only to ourselves, only to the flesh, for then our reward will be a harvest of corrupted filth. Now in contrast, may we be the one who sows to the Spirit, for that man from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now in this case, if a man is using his efforts, his abilities, his wealth, To grow the kingdom of God and to advance the proclamation of the gospel, he will reap spiritual rewards. Growing the kingdom of God, listen to this, growing the kingdom of God is not limited to giving to the church. And I want you to hear that clearly. Let me give some examples. Growing the kingdom of God starts in the home. Fathers, lead your home to be a God-glorifying home. We talk about family worship a lot. Well, how about when people come over to your house? Do family worship anyways. Perhaps especially make them leave thinking, wow, those people really care about the glory of God, and the worship of God. If you run a business where you practice justice and you serve people with the love of God, Well then your business is a part of your duty to sow to the Spirit. Part of your work to sow to the Spirit. God cares about the heart. God cares about the way that we run our lives, the way we do things. And so what I'm saying is don't sell your business and then give all the money to the church. But run a business that makes a positive difference in the community using your influence to spread the Kingdom of God. Run the business like a Christian. And if you're an employee or a manager obey the commands of scripture to work hard to fear God in your work rendering service with a good will as to the Lord Another one here this is perhaps an application of verse 10 where it says do good to everyone but I'll put it here anyway In our town there's an election of council coming up Now if you see the direction of our town heading in a way that you don't like which they are heading downhill away from God towards the celebration of sin. Consider that there are multiple spots opening up on town council. And this is the council that creates and manages the policies of Altona. Now think of the communal good that could come from having a few Christian men in positions of leadership in our town. Think of the beneficial service that you could give to all members of the town and the surrounding area by being involved, by advocating for policies that honor Christ. We have an opportunity right now as the people of God to take leadership in our town. So brothers, specifically the ones who live in town, seriously consider, with wisdom, this opportunity. And for those who do not live in town, well, your opportunity is the next rural election. So those are some of the ways that we can serve to the Spirit. Now In Scripture we also have many practical examples of what this looks like. So we'll look through a few of them. Uh, in the Old Testament, the Israelites were to pay the Levites for their service in the Temple. The Levites received no land inheritance like the other tribes, but their portion came through their service as priests and Temple workers. Paul says in 1 Timothy, and I invite you to turn to this passage. Turn to 1 Timothy. Uh, This passage is is quite helpful to understanding, uh, sowing to the Spirit. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6, 17. It says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, To sow to the spirit does not mean that you abandon all pursuits of money. When the rich young ruler uh, came to Jesus, Jesus told him that he had to sell everything that he had and to follow him. Jesus was not giving a literal template for every person that wants to follow him. We are not all told to sell everything that we have and follow him. But the reason Jesus said that is because the rich young ruler was not willing to give up his riches for Christ. And he went away sad when he was asked to give it up. And in the same way, we are to count it all as loss. As 1 Timothy said, we are not to set our hopes on the riches, but on God. Don't set your hopes on the riches, but on God. But notice in that passage, even the rich people store up treasure in heaven. Now, how did they do that? Well, look at the passage. By being rich in good works. By being generous and ready to share, especially to the household of faith. And then verse 19, he says, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Well, that sounds like our passage in Galatians. He who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life, a harvest that is not corrupted nor corruptible. Now, what about sanctification? Is Paul also talking about putting sin to death here? Yes, he is. Now, Paul is a fantastic writer, and we know that every passage in Scripture has been inspired by the Spirit of God. And so we can be confident that Paul is not just talking about church life, but he's also giving us a general principle that guides us in church life, in family life, and in individual life. And again, we ask, how can we know this? Context. Context gives us the clues that we need to figure out what Paul wants us to understand. Now throughout the book, if you've been with us uh, as we have been going through Galatians, has been contrasting the flesh and the spirit a lot throughout the book and at the end of chapter 5 we spent a number of weeks on this we talked about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit and the works of the flesh in many ways are very hurtful very destructive to the life of the church just to name a few of them on the list sexual immorality enmity strife jealousy fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, division, and envy, those are all extremely destructive to the body of the church. And those who sow to the flesh are those who continue to pursue the works of the flesh. The results of such pursuits are corruption and eventually destruction. And those who persist in such things will not inherit the kingdom of God in Christ so we can see that the individual is destroyed through the pursuit of the flesh. And the unity of the church is destroyed when the members of the church pursue the works of the flesh. And of course, the family also suffers when any of the members pursue the works of the flesh. Paul says, you reap what you sow. So let this serve as a warning when you are tempted to let your flesh take the driver's seat. If you allow your anger to control you, and of course this applies to all ages, children and adults, if you allow your anger to take over, you are sowing to the flesh. From the flesh you will reap corruption. If you allow your pride to sow division and dissension, or you harbor envy and jealousy for your neighbor or your brother, you are sowing to the flesh, from the flesh you will reap destruction. If you allow your evil desires to control your actions and plunge you into sexual sin or into sex- sensuality or drunkenness, you are so into the flesh. And from the flesh you will reap destruction. So use that as a warning to curb temptation. Because the devil will try to convince you that it's good for you to give into to your temptation. He'll say, let your anger be unleashed. Revel in your jealousy of your rich neighbor. Gratify the desires of your body. It will feel good. It will satisfy your desires and longings. But God says, do not be deceived. If you sow to the flesh, then from the flesh you will reap corruption. You reap what you sow. If you sow to the Spirit, then from the Spirit you will inherit eternal life. Just like we saw that the works of the flesh destroy the unity and fellowship of the church, the fruit of the Spirit will allow the fellowship to thrive and flourish. When church members sow to the Spirit, they fulfill the commands to bear one another's burdens, to contribute to the needs of the body, and they will seek to restore each other when they are caught in sin. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit wrought fruit is what enables fellowship and unity in the Church. Love covers all offenses. Love rejoices with the truth, does not celebrate wrongdoing. Patience is long-suffering, the ability to bear being wronged without retaliation. Bitterness. Kindness seeks the well being of others, looking for where one can aid a brother or a sister. And gentleness is a quality required for bringing someone back from sinning. And you see how the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh are directly tied to the well being of the church. That's what Paul's getting at here. The well being of the body is a result of the individual members. Living according to the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. Let's read verses 9 and 10, bring it together. It says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I want to keep this whole argument of verses 6 to 10 together, as it's a little easier to understand. So, sowing to the Spirit is parallel to doing good. And the motivation for doing good is reaping a harvest in due season. And before, Paul said, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And so, as one continues to live a life of generosity and love to others, and especially to those of the church, including the pastors, they will reap a bountiful harvest from God. Just like the farmer who plants his seed in the spring, he looks forward into the harvest. and So we are in the spring season on this earth. We must plant generously and liberally and then look forward to the harvest. The harvest is our hope and our motivation to keep working. The farmer doesn't plant and then fall asleep until harvest time. At least he shouldn't. But he must tend his crop, watering, weeding, fertilizing, repeat. And in the same way, we are called to keep working. Paul says, let us not grow weary in helping our brothers and sisters. There is a great harvest coming. And I want to address uh, one clause in there in verse 9. It says, in due season we will reap, if." we do not give up. Well, that's a condition. right? If we do not give up, then we will reap. Therefore, we can say it the other way. If we do give up in doing good, then we will not reap. Now, to anyone who loves justification by faith, which I hope, especially after this series, is all of us, <laughs> this is kind of a tricky statement. It sure sounds like reaping the harvest of eternal life is dependent on our will to keep doing good? Well, in one sense, it is. We must persevere in good works because good works are the evidence that we have been justified by God on the basis of faith in Christ. I'll say that again. We must persevere in good works because good works are the evidence that we have been justified before God on the basis of faith. Christ. Now, I think we need to see these conditional statements, uh, which there are more of, especially in the book of Hebrews uh, and a few other statements. It says, do not grow weary in doing good, for you will reap of the harvest if you do not give up. That's a warning. Do not give up. You want to reap the harvest of eternal life, don't you? Then do not give up. Persevere in your good works. Now, the other part of that equation is that God is the source of our strength, and God is the one who keeps us from giving up. I want you to turn to one more passage with me. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Starting in verse 3, it says... ready to be revealed in the last time. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, then you are being guarded by God's power, through faith, for salvation, which will be revealed in the great harvest. Christ died so that God's wrath could be abated and removed from all the elect of the world, and we are part of God's elect we trust in Christ. If we have faith in Christ, So think about it this way, yes, you must persevere in good works until the end, but take heart knowing that God's power is guarding you in this process. So trust Him to preserve your faith and good works until the end. So then, as we have opportunity, as we are in the planting season, let us do good to everyone. Let us sow seeds to the Spirit generously helping out all those around us, but with particular focus on the people of God. Now this year especially, this slothful farmer would have gotten very little seed into the ground. There was one particular week, I remember driving to Winkler, there was a tractor going in every field. Because it was time to seed, rain was coming, any delay would have meant great loss. Brothers and sisters, we must realize, we are farmers, and we have opportunity now. With our short time on this earth, to sow seeds that help others, to contribute to the needs of the saints, our family of God around us, and to support the ones who spend their time caring for our spiritual needs. And so I encourage you sow seeds liberally. The family of grace covenant needs one another. Give generously, help the needs of the church with your time. Serve the body with the gifts which you have been given by God to bless one another. Show hospitality. Open your home to others. Encourage each other. Pray for one another. These are very simple things that have great and lasting spiritual value. And finally, pursue the fruit of the Spirit. And as we do all these things, we will already begin to reap the harvest. Fellowship, support mutual love, encouragement. And let us keep looking to the ultimate reward that God has promised, eternal life, bought and guarded for us by Christ Jesus himself. To him be all the glory.